0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of our podcast, Smart Consulting Sourcing, the podcast about consulting procurement. My name is Hélène and I'll be your host today. Each week, I'll give you the keys to better use, manage and source consulting services. This week, I'll discuss how to draft the right consulting agreement. Last week, I talked about how to prepare the transition for when the consultant departs. We saw that preparing for the takeover after the consulting project is finished is just a matter of organization and that it will benefit both procurement and internal clients. And there's another part of the sourcing process that has the same effect, drafting the right consulting agreement. Simplification goes a long way when drafting a consulting agreement. So, first and foremost, you need to always consult with your legal team when you're drafting an agreement. but. Here are some great recommendations. A consulting agreement usually covers four main areas. That's the statement of work, um, which is what will be done during the project. Then there are the terms and conditions, which is what will be paid and how. The rules for delivery, how the work will be done. And the deviation measures, what will be done if there's an issue. So, I will break down this element into 10 things that you need to look at closely. So, the first thing is that you need to define your expectation and have a clear statement of work. So, the first step when you do up a contact is to define that statement of work or SOW. And that means laying out the expectation for your project. The goal of the SOW is to make sure that the consulting providers commit to the results and not the means. And the elements that are stipulated in the contract will be the reference in case the performance is not at the level you expected. So what does a statement of work normally include? The scope of work and the deliverable, the schedule and phasing, uh, governance and escalation, and the expected outcome and metrics. So when you're working with a firm construct or a master service agreement, the statement of work will serve as a consulting agreement, and it will define the work to be done and the specific terms on the other dimensions. The rest of the terms will be covered in the MSA. So second point to look at, the timeline for the project. The timeline should clarify and define the different deadlines, including the phasing, the milestones, and the schedule for the deliverables. You can also add the project schedule in the appendix, just as you did for the scope of work. The first thing you need to think about is is establishing a governance model. So in the statement of work, you should describe the governance of the project. That means describe how you will manage the project, who will be the project sponsor, who will be the project manager, who will be the people involved in the daily operation of the project on your side, on the consultant side, but also um, how you will manage the project at a higher level. So the uh, steering committee, for instance, who will be part of the steering committee, how, t- how many times they will meet and um, at what uh, moment in time in the process. And of course, one of the things that you need to look at is the escalation procedure. So, of course, I said escalation was important too, so you need also to set the escalation process guidelines. So, there's all types of issues that can arise during a project, and it's highly recommended that every organization has an escalation process protocol. As a project manager, it's your responsibility to remove the obstacles their teams can face that can lead to delays or inadequate deliverables. And these issues should be documented and forwarded to the manager in charge, the project sponsor, and to hire management to address them. In other words, you should have an escalation process. So sometimes you'll have to make a tough decision, but escalation is a healthy part of a project's life and it generally benefits both parties. You so will need to clarify how the performance is going to be measured. Um, the scope of work needs to specify the metrics to evaluate the success of a project. And for intangible services like consulting, you can use, for instance, the smart objectives system that can serve as a guideline to make sure the quality of delivery is there. And always remember that what you're measuring is the results, not the means. However, sometimes you have worked with the specific consulting firm for their team composition or for a specific expertise that they have, then this objective, which is more tangible, has to be included also in the outcomes. So another part of a consulting agreement is the commercial terms. So once you have defined what the consulting firm was supposed to do, you can move to how they will get paid. The agreements need to set very clearly how the consultant will be paid, the amounts and the conditions that are linked to these payments. When you are using hourly fees, you have to include the detailed amounts for each type of consultant, the kind of cap, if it's hard or soft or any, and the numbers of hours to reach this cap. When you work with the uh, risk sharing model, you have to define clearly the viable compensation, the metrics on which the viable compensation is based, and how they will be measured. And there is one point that you can't go around is payment terms, applicable taxes. So, of course, all consulting agreements naturally define payment terms, and you make sure to negotiate those terms, and you make sure that they are compliant with your company policy. and. Never forget that the contract usually stays net price before sales tax. You also have to set up a time limit on when payments are due. So standard terms are usually between 30 to 60 days after the invoice is issued. But I've seen recently some companies that are we're moving to 90 or 180 days for um, payment terms But be careful because if you use that kind of very long-term payment terms, you are cutting yourself from the opportunity to work with smaller consulting firms because they will never accept such terms because they can't afford them, right? Um, Another thing that you need to think about is the timing of the payment. So is it weekly, monthly, phase-based, or lump sum? As a recommendation, I say that for a project that will last a little bit more, you should consider a monthly schedule. And you can also add the description of the fees in the appendix. So now let's have a look at renewal and extension. So it can be useful when the scope of work is still unclear to include the potential of extension of the contract. Same thing for a recurring project or a project with several phases. You can add condition of renewal in the project. And in those cases, the client should be the one deciding to extend or renew the contract. So now, there is one point that is extremely important. It's crucial. It's confidentiality. Because you don't want the consultant to go around and tell about the project that he, he has done with you. So if there's a certain kind of information that is confidential and that you really don't want out, you have to write in plain English in the contract. Also, make sure you understand the limitation of confidentiality agreements, in particular when you work globally. Each culture or country adds its own approach and set of laws to confidentiality. And besides, confidentiality should be limited in time and space. And finally, you have to manage security requirements and conflict of interest. So when you work with highly sensitive information, you probably have strict security requirements. And you might want to include these elements in the contract. A specifically sensitive project, the consulting provider might have a conflict of interest if they have already worked with a competitor or a client of yours. So in that case, you can negotiate an exclusivity, but it often comes with additional fees. You can also include in your contract a list of specific companies or a broader definition of your competitors that you don't want them to work with. So if you don't want the consulting firm to work with your competitors after the project is over, then you need to include a non-compete clause in your contract. But for both clauses, you have to give a reasonable time and scope limits. And be aware that it's very difficult to enforce, so they should be used only in special cases. So wrap them up. Having robust consulting agreement templates is the key element in managing consulting projects. So not all projects know well, and, and that's okay. But these agreements are an excellent way to make sure that your expectations are understood and a reference to build your case if the project goes all right. Well, that's it for today. Next time, I'll explain why should finance and strategy get involved in decision-making on large projects. In the meantime, if you have any questions or want to learn more about what we do at Consulting Quest, just send me an email at elende.lafitte with two FNTTs at consultingquest.com. You can also have a look at our website, smartconsultingsourcing.com, to know more about our book and download free templates and guides to improve your consulting sourcing. Bye and see you next week. Au revoir!